0: Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida it's the History Goes Bump podcast.
1: Hello you spectacular people. Welcome to History Goes Bump Redux. I am your host Diane and this is Kelly Kelly, on this episode, we're featuring a location that I have been dying to redo this episode because I wasn't happy with the way the first one came out. And it's about Tombstone. And on that one, I was joined by a psychic and she talked about a few of the places in town, but it wasn't done the way that History Ghost Bump does a town. So we're going to rectify that on this redux.
2: Gonna dig right
1: in. This is a place we definitely need to visit. I've been to all kinds of places out west and somehow I miss Tombstone. We'll definitely have to go. Are you ready to go back? I'm ready.
2: Tombstone calls itself the West's most famous town, and it really is just that. This town was the epitome of the Wild West with gunfights, raucous saloons, gambling, brothels, mining, and lots of death. The town is a tourist attraction today with many locations claiming to be haunted. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of Tombstone.
1: Shifflin was a quirky looking fellow. He had long black hair that hung below his shoulders and his long black beard was tangled in knots. He looked 40 even though he was only 29 years old. His clothing and hat were very worn and covered in patches made from deer skin and rabbit fur. His appearance reminded people of a wild animal. Ed was part of a scouting expedition whose purpose it was to basically spy on the Chiricahua Apache tribe. Ed was also a prospector and he was always searching for precious minerals and gems. He had just been in the Grand Canyon area but found nothing. He would wander out in the barren land around camp looking for precious stones. His fellow scouts would laugh and tell him that the only stone he'd find out there would be his tombstone. Ed got the last laugh when he stumbled upon some silver. He named the mine Tombstone as a reminder of what the doubters had said. The year was 1877, and Shifflin is credited as founder of the town of Tombstone. So it really is named for the thing you
2: put on top of your grave. <laughs> it's very cool. As happened in that day, people heard about the Silver Strike, and they came to the area seeking their own treasure. They came for good reason, because Ed Strike was assayed as the mother lode.
1: Wow, he really did strike it rich.
2: It was necessary for a town to be built, so a man named Solon M. Alice came and laid out the town. Ed was a millionaire at this point, and he went off in search of more adventure. He was found dead in a cabin in Oregon, laying across a table where he was working gold ore. His journal remarked that he had struck it rich again, but left no indication where the find was located. Ed was brought back to Tombstone and buried in Prospector's clothing according to his wishes. A monument was built in his honor.
1: By 1880, the town's population had soared to close to 20,000 people that were made up of white men, women, children, Mexicans, and Chinese. There were a hundred saloons and a thriving red light district. There were also theaters. Twice the town was ravaged by fire, once in 1881 and again in 1882. One of the fires is rumored to have started when a lit cigar hit a barrel of whiskey at a saloon. Significant pieces of property were damaged and 40 men lost their lives. The smell of smoke is still smelled today, and some people claim to have seen the spirits of burn victims wandering around. Over time, the silver mine started filling with water and it was too costly to pump it out. The town slowed down and people started leaving. In the end, $37 million in ore was pulled from the mines. Today, around 1,500 people called Tombstone home, And it is a thriving tourist attraction with reenactments and lots of history to explore. And there are plenty of ghosts. First
2: up, we have Shifflin Hall. Shifflin Hall was built by Ed Shifflin's brother Al in 1881. This was a first-class opera house and was said to be the largest, most elaborate theater between El Paso, Texas and San Francisco, California. It's the largest standing adobe structure in the Southwest. The theater could hold up to 600 patrons and was on the first floor. The second floor housed the King Solomon Lodge, a Masonic lodge. One of its claims to fame is that Wyatt and Morgan Earp saw a play there the night Morgan was assassinated. The fires and flooding left Tombstone mostly abandoned and now the hall fell into disrepair. Historic Tombstone Adventures saved the hall in 1963 and restored it. The hall was eventually donated to the city in 1979. Today, the theater is still used for plays and other events, and the rest of the building serves as government offices. People claim to hear the
1: sound of spurs hitting the floor and there's poltergeist activity. Objects are moved around, a piano plays itself, electronics malfunction, doors close and lock themselves. Something that sounds like chains have been heard many times. Groups of people hear it all at the same time, so it's hard to relegate this to just someone's overactive imagination.
2: Next we have Allen Street. Allen Street is the main street of Tombstone. This street was named for John B. Allen, who was later nicknamed Pie Allen. He came to the Arizona Territory to work as a prospector, but didn't do very well. So he started baking pies for settlers and soldiers, and his business soared. This opened up the opportunity to get into politics. He eventually served three terms in the Arizona Territorial Legislature and two terms as mayor of Tucson. This street saw all the action since it was lined by saloons and brothels. Many people lost their lives on this street. Apparitions are definitely seen on the road and the sounds of a bygone era are heard. There is a woman in white that haunts Allen Street. She's seen in a long white dress and there are two tales behind her haunting she was either a mother so distraught over her child's death from yellow fever that she killed herself or she was the madam of a brothel who was hanged for her crime pretty big discrepancy there between
1: <laughs> yeah, the two I was stories just going
2: to say that
1: <laughs> next we have the tombstone bordello b and b the tombstone bordello has been moved to the spot where it sits today at 107 west allen street This is a white clapboard building that was built in 1881 and was part of the Red Light District. The building was moved in 1923 so it wouldn't be demolished to make room for a school. The house changed hands a few times and then in the 1970s, a tombstone judge and his wife bought the house and updated it with plumbing and electricity. Next, an English couple moved in and they added a hot tub, pool, and a few rooms. They turned the property over to the man who owned the Stampede RV park next door and he turned it into the bed and breakfast. The rooms were named for some of the historic Painted Ladies, like Diamond Annie, Calico Queen, and Shady Lady. There's also the Fallen Angel Room and Soiled Dove Room.
2: Oh my! (laughs) Good grief. (laughs) The staff wear period dress and a hearty breakfast is served. The former bordello is said to be haunted. Each room has its own logbook for guests to record any experiences. The spirits have rearranged items in the rooms and sometimes have touched guests. The spirits all seem to be benevolent. In the 19th century, a miner died during a brawl behind the brothel, and people claim that his spirit haunts the property, and he likes to bother women.
1: I don't know how benevolent that is, but...
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's just a gentle little pat on your tush. (laughs) (laughs) The apparition of a man wearing a duster has been seen, and a female ghost wearing a long, flowing gown has also been spotted. The sounds of gunshots are sometimes heard. The sound of gunfire awakened one couple, and they were shocked to find the ghost of a cowboy in their room, and they watched as he ran from the front of their bed to the door. An employee was carrying a stack of linens up the stairs when she lost her balance, but something unseen kept her upright, and she didn't fall. And now on to the O.K. Corral. Oh, never heard of that place. Have you, Kelly? I, you know, I, I think it sounds vaguely familiar. Rings a bell a little bit. I'll be your huckleberry.
1: The shootout at the OK Corral has been a historical enigma for decades, and yet it lasted for a mere 30 seconds. It's lived on into infamy. It's amazing. the O.K. Corral was a common livery and horse corral from 1879 to about 1888. A feud had been simmering and growing between the lawmen of Tombstone and an outlaw gang known as the Cowboys. The lawmen included Virgil, Morgan, and Wyatt Earp, and Doc Holliday. I don't know if you could really call Doc Holliday a lawman, but <laughs> he was on their side. The Cowboys were Wes Fuller, Billy Claiborne, Ike and Billy Clanton, and Tom and Frank McClory. A new law had been implemented on April nineteenth, 1881, that required anybody who wanted to enter Tombstone to check their weapons at the livery. On October 26, 1881, The cowboys rode into town, and they had no intention of checking their guns. When the lawmen requested that they do that, they refused. Guns were drawn, and 30 shots were fired. In the melee, Billy Clanton, Frank McLaurie, and Tom McLaurie were killed. Morgan Earp was shot in the shoulder, and Virgil Earp was shot in the leg.
2: The area where the shootout took place is said to be haunted. Cold spots are felt and people have seen the apparitions of lawmen and cowboys with their guns drawn. Apparitions are seen pacing back and forth. The sounds of horses stomping their hooves are also heard at the corral. A manager at the OK Corral claimed to see a silhouette standing in the doorway with a wide-brimmed hat. The sounds of gunshots are also heard. Another spirit seen here is said to belong to Justice Jim Burnett. He got in a fight with a neighbor over land, and that neighbor gunned him down in 1897. Since then, the spirit of an older man has been seen near where Burnett was killed. You think
1: about how many shootouts they had in all these old west towns, and this is the one that really everybody knows
2: about. Exactly. And next up, we have the Birdcage Theater. Which always makes me think of the movie The Birdcage. I know! (laughs) Could not be any further different. Yep.
1: It's not surprising that the Birdcage Saloon is haunted. 26 people have died in the theater, and there are 140 bullet holes in the wall to verify that fact. Add to that the claim the New York Times made about the theater in 1882 that it was the, quote, roughest, bawdiest, and most wicked night spot between Basin Street and the Barbary Coast. That's a big claim. Yeah. <laughs> the theater opened on December 26, 1881, under the ownership of Lottie and Billy Hutchinson. They had great intentions of providing wholesome and entertaining shows. (laughs) If you say so. (laughs) But that lasted a very short time, and soon they were featuring baser entertainment. One of the first acts was Mademoiselle de Granville, who was known as the female Hercules. She performed feats of strength, and many were similar to our strongman competitions today, where she lifted heavy objects with her teeth. Some people were calling her the woman with the iron jaw. You don't want to get bit by her, that's for sure. There were also comedians, opera singer Carrie Del Mar, Cornish wrestling competitions, magic shows, and there were masquerade balls. And I don't think I have to tell everybody that there were, of course, strip shows and women not wearing their clothes up on the stage and that kind of thing. The stage here wasn't big, Kelly, and this reminds us of the Whaley House. Yes, indeed. They just had a very small stage up there on the second floor. This stage was 15 feet
2: wide, 10 feet high, and 15 feet deep. Gambling was also part of the establishment and the longest poker game was played here in the basement of the theater. The game lasted for eight years, played 24-7 with $10 million being exchanged. Players had to buy in up front with $1,000. Players included George Hurst, Diamond Jim Brady, Adolphus Bush, Doc Holiday, Bat Masterson, and Wyatt Earp. The actual table is still on display, as is a large mirror dating back to 1881. There were 12 balcony boxes for the ladies of the evening to display their wares. One of the people who died here was named Margarita. She performed in the theater on both the stage and in the brothel. She took a real liking to one of the regular poker players named Billy Milgreen. Another lady of the evening, who was named Gold Dollar, also liked Billy. When she saw Margarita kissing Billy one night during a poker game, she flew into a rage and stabbed Margarita, killing her. We're not sure what happened to Gold Dollar, but Margarita was buried in the Boot Hill Cemetery.
1: To give listeners an idea of how crazy things could get at the birdcage, here is how one of the painted ladies named Annie Ashley described the atmosphere. Earning money was exciting, to say the least. Every night, the feudists would come to the theater, sometimes meet each other, and shoot it out then and there. The boxes were built in a ring like a horseshoe, and one gang would sit on one side and the other on the opposite. As Fickles, the barometer was the change in conditions. One morning, the feud would be on, then a dead quiet intended to deceive the enemy. Suddenly, another feud was on. And I guess the way these balconies were set up for the painted ladies is that they were always above the melee, so they were never in any danger while the bullets were
2: flying. Well, that's good. Hutchinson sold the birdcage to Hugh McCrum and John Struth when the economy took a downward turn and the men ran the establishment for three years before they shut it down. In 1886, Joe Bignan bought the theater and reopened it with his wife, Big Minnie, as one of the prime entertainers. She was six feet tall, 230 pounds, and danced in pink tights, thus the nickname. And remember what we said about the stage, Kelly? It's just little bitty stage. (laughs) Must have been something to see. Her real name was Matilda Quigley. Big Minnie also served as bouncer. And one article described her doing just that. On May eleventh, 1889, an intoxicated woodchopper from the Dragoon Mountains brandished a pistol when bartender Charlie Keene asked him for an additional nickel for his next shot of Munn's Extra Dry. Charlie looked at the man, and he had his eyes fixed on Charlie. At this moment, Mrs. Bignan entered, and Charlie asked her to stay there while he went off after the sheriff, Bob Hatch, to put the man out. She answered that she would put him out herself and proceeded to put the objectionable visitor out the front door. I love it. Give him a kick in the butt. By 1892, silver prices had dropped really low and mines laid off workers and the Birdcage Theater closed. The theater passed through hands, serving as storage and even a coffee shop
1: and now as a tourist attraction. William Hunley bought the place in 1967, and in the 1980s, he staged a seance at the theater, and in the middle of it, he was strangled by something nobody could see. His neck was bruised for six weeks after that. Whoa. So something grabbed him. Hunley also claimed to have an antique poker chip that would disappear and reappear on occasion. He took to locking it in the safe. His son is the current owner of the establishment, and he invites ghost hunters to come in and investigate. Ghost Lab and Ghost Hunters have been there, and so has Ghost Adventures. They featured the birdcage
2: twice. Darba Joe Butler worked at the theater, and she fell down the stairs one time, but was uninjured because she felt someone she couldn't see catch her. Tour guide Dean Daughtry was giving a talk when he was grabbed really hard on his shoulder. It was so forceful that people on the tour noticed that happen. Tour guide Patricia Kolsky claimed that she got touched every single day. And one time it was a hand that moved all the way up to her inner thigh. (laughs) Oh, no, no. I'm not one of them painted ladies. No, no. Nova Flurry wrote of an encounter she had with Margarita's ghost. Nova Flurry wrote of an encounter she had with Margarita's ghost. I saw an apparition of a young woman who opened the curtain. She was between the ages of 18 and 20. She was leaning on the balustrade. And when she looked at the balustrade, she seemed to say that the place was unoccupied and there was no one in the alcoves. She was only wearing a bloomer, so she stood out just a little (laughs) bit. There's also
1: a woman in white who haunts the theater. An employee said almost everyone who works here has had an experience of some kind with the lady in white. I've seen her. She came down the stairwell and into the poker room. She wore a white dress and a white bonnet. She stood in front of me for a very long time without reacting to my presence at all. It's like she didn't even know I was there. She's what they call a residual haunt. No one has ever identified who she is. A bonnet indicates she was a proper lady and no proper ladies ever came in here. Most of us who work here think she came in with the hearse and is now trapped there. So they must have a hearse on property or something
2: and she's attached to it? The first marshal of Tombstone, Marshal Fred White, was shot down in the street by Curly Bill Brocius in October of 1880. Curly and his gang decided to shoot up the town one morning and Marshall White decided to disarm them. Curly supposedly accidentally shot the marshal in the groin and he died two days later. He was shot in front of where the Birdcage Saloon stands today and his spirit has been seen in the area and could possibly be one of the haunts at the saloon. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. And next on to Boot Hill Cemetery.
1: There are around 200 bodies buried at the Boot Hill Cemetery which includes ladies of the evening, gamblers, outlaws, businessmen, housewives and plenty of men who died with their boots on. The cemetery was founded at the west end of Allen Street and was originally called the City Cemetery. Eventually, it would get its name Boot Hill because of the idea that many men buried here had died with their boots on. The cemetery had fallen into disrepair in the 1920s. A group of citizens in Tombstone and Cochise County decided to save the cemetery, which took several years. The three outlaws who died at the OK Corral are buried here, as is Dutch Annie, who was nicknamed the Queen of the Red Light District. Billy Clanton's spirit is seen near his grave here. Some people who've taken pictures of his tombstone get a fuzzy anomaly near the headstone that appears to be a human form glowing orbs of light are seen and visitors claim to see shadow figures and hear spooky sounds. In Boot Hill's gift shop, merchandise is moved around. For example, the sweatshirt rack rotates on its own. Next we have the Crystal Palace
2: Saloon. The Crystal Palace Saloon was originally called the Golden Eagle Brewery. The establishment was opened in 1879 by a Swiss butcher turned businessman named Godfrey Tribolet and a German brewmaster named Ben Werfritz. The brewery burned in 1882. Ben Warfritz rebuilt and turned the brewery into a saloon as well, renaming it the Crystal Palace Saloon. The saloon had a goldfish pond and central fountain and offices upstairs. There was a brothel here too, and this is where Gold Dollar worked before she killed Margarita. The saloon closed down in 1915 and then reopened as a theater during Prohibition and eventually was used as a warehouse and then a Greyhound bus depot. <laughs> Today, the second floor is just a false front. Virgil Earp had an office upstairs. The saloon was renovated in 1963 and seems to have a lot of spirits. Apparitions of cowboys and stagecoach drivers are witnessed. And many guests have claimed to see three cowboys in various locations around the Crystal Palace. The stage, at various tables, and at the bar. Sometimes they are full-bodied and other times they are wispy figures. They've been captured in photographs as well. The story behind one of these pictures involves a visitor named Carrie who asked the bartender to take a picture of her and the photo revealed a shadowy figure standing behind her. Carrie came up to the bartender later and told him that she was feeling very uneasy and would he take her picture again. In this next photo, three shadowy figures were seen behind her and she claimed that she felt unseen hands keeping her from standing up. A painted lady has been seen around the bar as well. Next, we
1: have the Buford House, which was built in 1880 for Texas mining executive George Buford and his wife Annie. It was one of the finest houses in tombstone, rising two stories and made from adobe. The couple had seven children, and tragically, three of them died in the house. It's believed that they all died from diphtheria. The Bufords moved out in 1888. I have a feeling it was just too sad for them to be in that house anymore because almost all the children, I think six of them, were born in the house. The house passed through various hands and served as a bed and breakfast for years. Actor John Wayne even stayed here. Today, it's a private residence that is owned by Catherine Farrell and John Goodspeed, who bought the house in 2005. They occasionally allow paranormal investigations because this seems to be quite the haunted property.
2: When it served as a B&B, guests complained of faucets that turned themselves off and on, and the lights flickered. Guests were touched as well, describing what felt like an electrical zap. A couple of regular investigators for years were psychic mediums Rhonda and Dwight Hull. They claim the ghosts are the spirits of the Buford children. They would bring books to read to them. Dwight told the Herald Review, I've done this a couple of times where I've stopped in the middle of a story and said, okay, I'm done unless you can light that K2 meter up and tell me you want to hear the rest of the story and the meter would light up. It is amazing. I think that's actually a really smart idea.
1: It is. (laughs) We're going to steal it. (laughs) We'll bring books with us now, too, along with our stuffed animals and be like, you want us to finish it? You got to light up the K2. John Wayne wasn't the only celebrity to stay here. Bruce Boxletner did as well. And he shared his experiences on an episode of Celebrity Ghost Stories. He had placed items from his pocket on a bedside table before going to sleep. The next morning when he awoke, he found his wallet gone. He searched everywhere and he eventually does find the wallet sitting on a chair 15 feet away. Now we could explain that away and be like, well, maybe he set it down there and just doesn't remember doing it. Later in the day, he heard his boys arguing with one accusing the other of stealing his action figures. His family turned the house upside down and couldn't find them. Later that evening, his wife opened up a dresser drawer and there were the toys. The next day, Bruce and his family attended a film festival. It was July and very hot and when they got back to the house, Bruce couldn't sleep so he sat up and watched TV in the family room. He was sweating profusely but eventually fell asleep. He was shocked awake when he felt a cold iciness on one whole side of his body. He felt tingling, and he was sure that someone was standing next to him, but he couldn't see them. Then he saw a shadow on the wall. Then he heard stomping coming across the floor, and it's like coming at him. It got quiet after that, and Bruce went out into the hallway to see if anybody was there. He thought maybe one of the owners had gotten up, so he kind of went over to where their door was because they stayed in the back of the house. And he's like, he couldn't hear anything in there, and it was really quiet. In the hall hung a mirror. And when he looked in the mirror, he could see a man dressed like a cowboy standing behind him. Bruce was frozen in fear. The figure faded away and Bruce went up to his room and he didn't sleep the whole night. The next day, he talked to the owner about the incident and the owner said, Oh, you met our ghost, George.
2: (laughs) The story behind the haunting that Bruce was told was that George was a miner who had fallen in love with a girl named Petra who lived across the street from the Buford house. He was staying at the Buford house at the time. He worked hard to win her love, but alas, she fell in love with another guy. George saw them together and became enraged. He went across the street and shot Petra, and then after returning to the Buford house, he shot himself in the head. Fortunately, Petra survived. There are other stories about George. A paranormal group actually captured his image in the mirror, and female guests sometimes complained about being touched in the night in a way that they didn't want to be touched and one woman claimed to have been pinned down. No one knows for sure who this spirit is because there's no proof of the story.
1: Owner Catherine Farrell has had plenty of experiences too, which scared her at first, but now she's used to them. She told the Herald Review, I used to sleep with the light on every night. I'm serious. I was frightened. And who could blame her when she claims to have felt something stroke her leg one night? She doesn't sleep with the lights on anymore, but does continue to hear strange noises that sometimes include shrill voices. Apparently, the male spirit here doesn't bother her that much. guess maybe you just touched her the <laughs> one time and that was it, because I wouldn't put up with that on a daily basis.
2: Next, we have Big Nose Cates. Big Nose Cates started out as the Grand Hotel in 1880, and it was a grand establishment with elegant decor and 16 luxuriously furnished rooms. The lobby had a reading room and chandeliers, and the kitchen could feed 500 people. An epitaph reporter wrote of the hotel, Passing into the building by the front entrance, the first thing that strikes the eye is a wide and handsome staircase covered by an elegant carpet and supporting a heavy black walnut banister. Thence, upstairs to the main hall and turning to the right, we are ushered into a perfect little bijou of costly furniture and elegant carpeting known as the bridal chamber. This room occupies half of the main front and is connected with the parlor by folding doors through which the reporter passed and entering the parlor was more than astonished by the luxurious appointments. A heavy Brussels carpet of the most elegant style and finish graces the floor. The walls are adorned with rare and costly oil paintings. The furniture is of walnut, cushioned with the most expensive silk and rep, and nothing lacks save the piano, which will be placed in the position shortly. And very strange that this reporter writes his news story talking about himself. In the third person.
1: (laughs) Doc Holliday, Wyatt, and Virgil Earp, and the Clanton gang all stayed here. Not at the same time, I'm assuming, or they probably would have killed each other right there in the hotel. It was wildly successful until a fire destroyed the upper level. The bar that was down in the basement is one of the only things to have survived the fire, and it's now up on the first level. And it's still there today. That's really cool. That's one of the reasons why I would love to see it. A new building was erected that housed three businesses. Another fire burned most of the structure again in May of 1924. An adobe facade managed to survive both fires and was incorporated in the next rebuild. Charred beams and arches are still a part of the structure to this day. Wow. Felix and Carmen Perez opened the bars, the Allen Street Bar, and then in the 1970s it became Big Nose Kate's. Steve and Gloria Goldstein and their daughter Susan Wallace bought Kate's in 1982 and they still own it. The namesake for the saloon? Never owned it. Big Nose Kate was a Hungarian outlaw known as Mary Catherine Horony. She became the common law wife of Doc Holliday, but she loved her independence and prostitution afforded her that life. <laughs> yeah, I'll be your common okay. law wife, but I'm still going to turn <laughs> tricks. She started working in brothels in 1874 in Dodge City, and one of those was run by James Earp's wife. So now we have the lawmen and the outlaws kind of intermingling here. Doc and Kate met in Texas in 1876 and were immediately drawn to each other. And Doc said she was his intellectual equal, which I really appreciate that a guy was like, you know, someone's got a brain on her. They had a volatile relationship. The two eventually ended up in Tombstone together.
2: Big Nose Kate's saloon had an area called The Shaft down in the basement and legend claims that a man named The Swamper had lived down there. He was digging down into the silver mines from there, trying to reach the five miles of tunnels beneath the town. No one is sure what happened to the man. Some stories claim that he left town and others claim that some miners killed him. John Morgan was a guide at Kate's and he didn't believe in ghosts until he started working there. He was walking down a hallway and something grabbed him by the back of his vest and forcefully pulled him backwards. There was no one there. It scared the crap out of him. Ghost Adventures captured lots of disembodied footsteps and some images on the SLS camera. A couple of women dressed in painted lady attire were used as trigger objects, and one of them had her hair flipped, and this was caught on camera. They also captured a weird light anomaly on the infrared camera. Some people claim that the spirit of Doc Holliday likes to hang out at Kate's.
1: I mean, he did stay there at one time, and it is named for his common-law wife, so why wouldn't he want to hang out there? Yeah, that hair flip was really interesting because it was the profile of the girl kind of a little bit behind her. And she was leaning back against a door jam kind of thing. But there was a piece of furniture that was there that she was leaning against. There wasn't a whole it wasn't a really big piece of furniture. So you couldn't see fully everything behind her. But all of a sudden you could see it was almost like the hair that was on the other side of her head flipped to the other side behind her. And then she reaches up with her other hand and starts kind of patting her hair like like she kind of felt it but wasn't sure what had happened. So I was thinking to myself, well, what was her other hand doing? I mean, she could have easily flicked her hair because we can't see that side of her body. Well, what came into my mind was fishing line. (laughs) Or something like that. (laughs) So one thing I do have to appreciate about Ghost Adventures is that they do try to debunk stuff. And they actually had a camera that was down the stairs and to the side that actually had that angle you had to look up the stairs at where she was at it wasn't real easy to see her but once you knew where she was standing you could see that side of her body and you can see like where she kind of flinched forward like when she feels her hair moving and then her hand going up and kind of feeling back there and towards the top of her hair so you could see what her other arm was doing so she clearly didn't cause her hair to flick that way interesting and it was a lot so i was like wow that was a pretty forceful flick of the hair it would seem the old west is still alive in tombstone do the cowboys, ladies of the evening, prospectors and gunfighters of the past still carry on in tombstone today? Is this town haunted? That is for you to decide. want well, to thank you guys for joining us on this Redux. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.